Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Successful Home Ownership Show with your host, Richard McKenzie. And today we're doing something a little bit different. We're going to do an interview, and notice I'm using the word we. That is because my wife, Maria McKenzie, of 24 years, is going to interview me, and hopefully this will divulge some useful tips and tools to help people through the buyer's process or seller's process getting a home inspection. And we're going to talk about some various aspects to help make the whole process a little bit easier, more predictable, less hurdles, and so forth. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce my wife, Maria. And Maria, go ahead and take it away on whatever questions that you have for me. Okay, well, you have been inspecting for many, many years now, and through all these years, I've heard some very entertaining stories. So I came up with some questions that um, will kind of focus on those entertaining stories, but they will also offer lots of great information for uh, home buyers and sellers out there who are getting ready to have a home inspection. So the first question that I'm going to ask you is, what was your most challenging home inspection hmm so challenging home inspection I'm gonna probably talk a little bit on two different inspections the first one involved what I would call a lot of people and a lot of people at this particular inspection oh my goodness so the couple shows up at the house and then a couple minutes later some more people come in and a couple minutes later some more people come in And by all said and done, there was probably 20, 25 people in the house. I could tell both sets of parents were there, brothers, sisters, cousins, aunts, uncles, co-workers, etc. So it was a family reunion. It was basically a family reunion, a big celebration of everybody uh, cheering this couple on. And so what's going through my head is not that I'm thrilled for these people buying the house, but what risks we have of them not uh, realizing and not learning the things that are going on with this house. So, so what do we do during that? Well, our job then is to ensure that that person stays with us the whole time and, and we need to make sure that we follow through everything going on during the inspection and that they, when they get the report, they're not so focused on just tape measures, where the refrigerator's going, where the bed's going, and all that stuff. No. Instead, we want to make sure that they are focused on the inspection. So, when I saw the couple, when I saw the couple going through and talking to people, it was really my job to pull them away a little bit and keep the, the main, the husband, for example, with me. Um, making sure that he's going to be the one who's going to be changing the air filters and that sort of thing. So that was a little bit different and a little bit stressful. I've never had so many people in one house at one time. And I'll touch on the other example. This is a little different. This was somewhat humorous, but stressful nonetheless. I call it the China doll inspection. So I had this mother and daughter show up at the house and the mom is like tied up on her cell phone for most of the inspection and she didn't really stay with me a whole lot so 
The daughter, however, probably about eight years old, was very inquisitive and followed me around and all this stuff. But what became a problem was this house had a couple hundred, maybe even 300 China dolls in it. In other words, the seller was a collector. Mm. Yep. And the daughter kept opening up these cabinets. Some of them were locked, some of them weren't, and was grabbing these dolls and holding them and so forth. And I turned around and I, I finally said to her, I said, now look, these, these are not yours. These are not ours. Um, you need to put that back, um, you know, so forth and so on. And, and what came to mind was, well, let's do the hall monitor type of thing. Let's put the loudest talker in charge of uh, all the talkers. So I went and got my, my analogy here is I grabbed my tape measure, handed it to her, and I said, you need to follow me around and, and measure things, and um, you need to help me. So that kind of got her mind off of the China dolls, and her mom finally came and joined in the inspection, so that took care of that problem. But that was pretty challenging. Well, that was very resourceful. <laughs> well, so... Let's move on from challenging to easy. So tell us, what was your easiest home inspection? Well, easiest, I would say, is not the longest inspection, but the longest ended up being the easiest inspection. There are just some houses out there when you accompany the house with, and I'm saying it this way purposely, when you accompany the house with a client that is just so nice and just so fun to be with and really listens and engages with you, it just makes it a really pleasurable experience. And you just go, my gosh, I'm actually getting paid to do this. This is fun. So there's a neighborhood called Glendale in northern Cincinnati area. And this house in Glendale happened to be the biggest house in Glendale. Had a two-story garage, a swimming pool, a pool house. And the house itself probably had six or seven bedrooms, three floors, plus a fourth floor that had a finished attic that they put a spiral staircase to get up there, which was just the most amazing thing. I was so jealous in a good way. I was like, wow, this is just so cool. So the inspection started at 9 a.m. and totally blew right through lunch, had no clue it was time to eat because I was so focused on the inspection. And I looked at my watch again when we were done, and I said, oh, my gosh, it's 3.30. We've been doing this six and a half hours. And I think I got about six or 700 pictures out of the whole thing. And now, mind you, most of these pictures are complimentary. You know, there's, there's going to be, of course, issues. And those are part of those pictures. But, and, and I just remember in the basement, <clears throat> the last thing was inspecting this boiler. And on it, it was Wheel McLean, a well-known boiler company. Um, and it said, commercial boiler commercial size good grief this was big enough to be put in a hospital so that was just really pleasurable um, very easy to me um, another category that i consider pretty easy are the log cabins out in the woods mm -hmm. so if i drive 20 or 30 miles out into the sticks going to a house that is a log cabin i just consider that fun and it's like really i'm getting paid to do this this is so cool so what did all these folks have in common, these inspections? Well, I'll tell you what they had in common. The sellers were ready for the inspector. Mm -hmm. Even though the house was huge or the house was very unique, um, they were ready. And even the house that's still on our website for an example report, the 1814 house that I've talked about previously on an episodes, 
that was just so fun too because you had cut nails and you had pegged uh, uh, <clears throat> tree trunks basically used as you know posts for for the the uh, roof members just monstrous uh, really cool stuff uh, for those types of houses just the history just mm -hmm. makes them so rich and so easy to inspect okay. well tell us what the most frightening experience <coughs> that you've ever had while doing an inspection well well, the China Dow thing was kind of frightening because I thought for sure she was going to break one of those. Um, but having a raccoon pee on my head, that was somewhat alarming. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I think probably anything that can hurt somebody is, is alarming. Um, finding that you're on a roof and then you look behind you and the client is right there with you and you didn't realize that they actually climbed up your ladder... You didn't tell them not to, but you just assumed somebody's not going to do that. But they're not on your insurance policy. So, um, so folks, you know, stay with the inspector, but not, not every square inch like that. Um, but uh, one client who reached their hand to grab a wire in the electrical panel, and I'm very confident, uh, <clears throat> very confident that this person would have grabbed this wire had I not knocked their hand out of the way and then apologized for doing it afterwards, but they thanked me nonetheless, um, they were going to grab a wire. Uh, that's that's kind of scary. So that, that gave my heart a little uh, jump there for a second. So those would probably be the most frightening ones. And, and a caveat on the electrical panel, <clears throat> if you have a homeowner and they've built this fancy wooden frame around the electrical panel, that's not necessarily a good thing because sometimes the edges of that will hold the panel on and you can't bust up somebody's wall or woodwork to, to get the electrical panel cover off. So be ready for your inspector, sellers out there. Um, be ready and have everything accessible. Cars not parked under attic accesses. Clutter, if you can declutter the house. Oh, that's going to be one of the questions, mm -hmm. so I'll hold off on that. Okay. Well, let's backtrack just a little bit. You had talked about... Um, historic homes a little bit earlier so tell us what you like the most about inspecting historic homes um, <clears throat> I think some of the things about historic houses are just the era in which they were built and what may have taken place during a particular year or particular era so there's um, Green Hills area up on Winton Road here in Cincinnati uh, those houses were built in, in the 30s they were part of the We Poke Along WPA um, type of uh, governmental uh, program. And those houses were built like tanks. The, the I-beams in them are just ridiculously oversized. The concrete walls are just, most of them are just overbuilt. Uh, those, you know, if you have a tornado coming in Cincinnati, I want to be in Green Hills in one of their basements. It's just not going to touch those mm -hmm. houses. Um, those are pretty amazing. So there's been some houses that I've inspected that were built in 1929. I mean, think about that. You got the stock market crash, you got the Dust Bowl beginning, the Great Depression, and somebody had the wherewithal to put 20, 30, 40, or 50% down on a house or buy it outright and mm -hmm. still were able to pay for that. I mean, that's just amazing to have a house. Oh, and there's some houses... Uh, if anybody out there has ever heard of a Sears kit house, 
So if you're in the basement and you're looking on the, the just above the stairs, there might be a tag stapled to the piece of wood there. And it says Sears and Roebuck, and it's from the 30s or even before. And that house was a kit. You had all the materials shipped to your house. You had to find the person who would build it. But it was a kit house. Mm. You bought it from the darn catalog. Wow. Really cool. Yeah. Um, so I think the history in houses, uh, that 1814 house, mm -hmm. that one, uh, the, the owners of the house, the original builders, that is, they took part in starting the American Revolution. That's what I learned mm -hmm. when I was in that house. There was some documentation about that. Wow. Really, really... Uh, Didn't you say there was, like, bark <clears throat> on the... Yeah, there, that's right. Yeah, so the, the attic on the roof members, there was still bark on them, uh, cut nails, and just, mm -hmm. just beautiful hard work. The amount of hard work that had to go in and doing stuff without nail guns, without the benefit of even flashlights, for example. Mm -hmm. I mean, just mm -hmm. think about that. Uh, really, really cool. Okay, well, we're going to change the subject a little bit. And tell us about um, inspecting the houses of hoarders. Hoarders. Yeah, hoarders slash collectors. So some houses you go in and people have just so much crap, so much stuff. It's just incredible. Um, and you find yourself looking at the stuff sometimes and going, wow, I wonder if there's some Rookwood pottery in here. Or, wow, I wonder if there's a, uh, you know, one of these uh, uh, Roger Maris rookie cards or, you know, Lou Gehrig tobacco cards or something like that going on in that house. You just never know. But that's neither here nor there. Hoarders can be, it's, it's like a, a mental thing. They just can't get rid of stuff. And, and that is, it's sad um, but there is some sort of mental limitation there where they're really scared to get rid of stuff. Mm -hmm. There was one woman, and I inspected the house, and she was a relocation client. And what went through my mind was, oh my gosh, she's got to hire movers. I don't even want to be here when the movers come and give her an estimate. Um, because the movers might be scared and they might run away. And, and once they see the stuff, just, hey, we got to go get lunch and then not come back. Um, <clears throat> I, I really mean that. I was in the basement of this one particular house of this woman, and she had mentioned, and this is very sad, she mentioned that she lost her mom about six months ago. And then she said three months after that, she lost her sister. So she's got, oh, and by the way, all of those, those both, both of those other houses, all the stuff got moved into her house. So three houses. Three houses Worth one. of stuff. <clears throat> right. And where was most of it? In the basement. Um, I mean, you could barely move around on the first and second floor because of stuff. So how do you inspect that? How do you... You can't see through people's stuff. You can't move people's stuff out of the way. Remember the inspection standards for most certifications and state licensures is the inspection is a visual, non-invasive inspection of all the readily accessible areas stressing the words here in this case readily accessible you can't move somebody's stuff out of the garage if they have moved everything in the garage to make their house look vacant and they chose not to get a pod to put on the street um, so you, you just can't do that 
what about if there's a termite shelter tube behind all that stuff in the garage? Well, um, unfortunately, we couldn't see that. We do have limitations. We're human, and, and hopefully everybody listening here understands that as inspectors, we don't have front-end loaders in our kit of tools mm -hmm. that we bring to a house to move somebody's stuff out of the way. <clears throat> so, I, and going back to that woman who had three houses of stuff in her basement, if I had fallen, I'm not sure anybody would have ever found me in that basement, <laughs> literally. And she kept moving stuff from one stack to the other and kept apologizing and, and acting like that somehow is going to help it be less cluttered if she moves stuff from one stack to another and takes five inches off this stack and adds five more inches to another stack. And I kept thinking, <coughs> my gosh, um, if Sherlock Holmes came in here and somebody asked them to notice a before and after of moving that stuff, I don't think he could tell the difference. <laughs> so clutter and hoarding is, um, does make life a little difficult when it comes to inspecting. All right, well, we're going to talk about something else that makes uh, inspecting difficult. Tell us what you do about bed bugs. Oh, Lord have mercy. <clears throat> okay, bed bugs. Well, so just a, a little bit of a disclaimer. Um, as a wood-destroying insect licensed inspector, meaning we inspect for wood-destroying insects, a.k.a. the termite inspection, which really is carpenter ants, carpenter bees, powder post beetles, and termites, <coughs> excuse me, um, bed bugs are not in that category. Neither are raccoons, neither are bats, mice, um, snakes, um, none of that stuff. Or if somebody wants to know about the moles in their yard or voles. That said, if we see, or, or cockroaches or anything else, if we see evidence of stuff during the inspection, are we going to put that in a report? Of course we are. But it is not explicitly inspecting for those things. So why am I telling you all this? Well, because sometimes we do encounter bed bugs. Have I ever brought them home? Thank goodness, no. Um, is anybody itching while they're listening to this? I'm sorry about that. <coughs> um, however, bed bugs have been known to be in houses, uh, especially in the Cincinnati area, and we have seen them. They colonize on the uh, ceilings around the edges, and we've seen them on windowsills. Why is it important if you see them on windowsills? I'll tell you why. Well, first of all, if you're walking through a house and if your inspector says, he pulls you over and says, I think this is bed bugs. Don't touch anybody's stuff. Don't sit on any cushions. Don't let your kids sit on anybody's stuff. Don't sit on beds. Do not sit on chairs. Just don't do that. Don't touch anything. Bed bugs can live without a meal 275 days. Why do I know that? Well, uh, attending the uh, continuing education courses for the Ohio Department of Ag Agriculture for keeping our termite licenses uh, up to date and so forth, there is a PhD woman, we call her the bug lady. I totally forget her name, but she knows more about bed bugs than anybody I believe on the planet. 
and unfortunately ground zero for bed bugs Cleveland um, Cincinnati to a lesser degree Dayton we tend to have quite a few instances of them so when we're in houses and if we see them on windowsills if the house is vacant bed bugs go for the light when they are desperate to have a meal and they can go believe it or not up to 275 days without a meal that is like totally unfair and ridiculous so what does that mean that means if you're in a house and you see bed bugs dead on a windowsill and there's a big difference between stink bugs which are huge and much bigger and the little tiny bed bugs uh, if your inspector says he believes there's bed bugs then maybe you want to pay one of these canine companies that uh, people have the bed bug dogs and they can do a further valuation of that and certainly uh, identify whether they are or not and those dogs can smell them whether or whether they're alive or dead um, and they're like 90 95 98 percent accurate something like that so um, bed bugs are just something to really um, and, and and where we find them are places you just wouldn't expect you just don't think about that but it's kind of like an equal opportunity pain in the butt because people get on buses taxis sit in restaurants sit in movie chair seats travel airplanes you just never know where you're going to get them um, so yeah we uh, we just have to be kind of careful about it and and be smart about it and don't rub up against stuff um, you know kind of go through the house but it's one of those things where you really don't need to sit on somebody else's furniture during the inspection and you're probably safer that way too okay well I have one <clears throat> last question we just talked about bed bugs but there are other infestations out there so have you ever inspected a house with any type of other infestation yeah I guess you can call it an infestation there was one house where uh, in the attic and this is going to shock a lot of people but in the attic this particular house had I mean dozens of <coughs> excuse me dozens of snake skins Ooh. yep so what had happened is the snakes somehow worked their way up to the warm attic and enjoyed being in there in the winter because the person had poor insulation in the attic well what is that how does that get snakes attract them well snakes see with their tongue and sense with their tongue so if they can sense warmer air they're gonna like wrap their way around the gutter climb their way up get in the attic multiply and uh, and then um, because it is warmer up there because there's not enough insulation so the house is in other words the house loses heat into the attic and it makes it a very habitable warm area and if you're in the um, you know in the country or you or you've allowed the tree limbs and stuff and vines to grow on your house then you've actually created an ecology for insects and mice which the snakes love so you got a little ecology thing going on there and the snakes just over the seasons and over generations have just shed their skins and left them up there needless to say these particular people decided not to buy that house <laughs> and just moved on and it's really a strange thing to put on the report that other infrequently found discovery section of the report you put that there appears to be some snakes uh, suggests further valuation and uh, eradication or trapping by qualified pest control technician uh, as needed 
Um, yeah, don't put that on a report that often, but <clears throat> that yes. one did. Yep. So um, that was a doozy. Okay, well, those are all the questions that I have, and I hope that uh, the information you shared has been helpful to everyone out there who is interested in getting a home inspection, whether they are buying a house or selling a house. Yeah, and I think we may have to do this again. This was kind of fun. Um, so remember, when you are, there's four parties involved in a house, and each has a part in making it easier for the home inspection, because ultimately, if you've picked out the right house and if it inspects well, then everybody wants to get to the closing table and a table faster and get that thing done. And you don't want more hurdles and you don't want further evaluations and you don't want more inspections after things have been fixed and all that stuff. Those things tend to make it go longer, the process. So the sooner you can get that stuff done and maybe eliminate some houses that would otherwise inspect poorly, I think the better off everybody is. So until the next episode, we thank you for everybody for listening. And Maria, thank you for participating today. And hopefully folks will hear you on another episode in the future somewhere. Wonderful. Yep. And without further ado, thank you for listening. This has been another episode of the Successful Home Ownership Show. Thank you.